across the world, real estate agents are underachieving. They're missing out on millions of dollars in commissions. My name is Pat Hyben, and in the past 27 years, I've sold over 6,000 homes, selling over a billion dollars in real estate volume. My plan is to interview agents from across the world and help all agents create their destiny. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Yes, please go to audio.hybendigital.com and get your first 30 days free, which is inclusive of your first book free. I love listening to books on tape, as us old fogies talk about, but essentially recorded books are even better if they're read by the author. I've always got two or three in the queue. Right off the bat, I got one to recommend to you guys. It's got an awesome title, and the author actually has this title tattooed on his arm so that when he wakes up every morning, he sees it, and it's by Ryan Holiday. H-O-L-I-D-A-Y. It's ego is the enemy. Ego is the enemy. You know, we automatically think that it's the people that are just going full out, charging the hill. You know, these superhero type people that are successful. And he defies that thinking by saying, you know, look, I've got all these stories of all these people who have taken their ego aside right and pushed it aside put others first and and succeeded but we don't hear about them so here they are and it's a classic book i love it ego is the enemy ryan holiday just again go to audio.hybendigital.com audio.hybendigital.com and uh, get your first 30 days and this book if you want to listen to it for free Hey, Rockstar Nation. Listen, I am so excited because we put out this holiday special for Rebus University and we have had an overwhelming response of new students to the Certified Listing Agent course. It has just been incredible. And I got some emails today uh, asking, hey, was it just a Cyber Monday thing? And the answer is, you know, what I decided to do, this is the new answer, is I'm going to just extend it. So I'm going to just let it roll for a little while in the holiday spirit. I'm not going to pull the plug on the 50% off. So if you want the CLA course, go ahead and get it. Until further notice, I'll let you know when we pull it. But uh, 50% off, you just just go to rebusuniversity.com. I changed the front page just so it's, you know, one price, 50% off. And then the Jeff Cohn course, everyone keeps asking me because, the, you know, they've heard of Jeff. Jeff's been on the show a couple of times, close to 700 units this year. This thing is, is a lot of work. It's much more work than I anticipated, but we've put the finishing touches or my finishing touches on the final video. We still got the editors to do it, their finishing touches, but there is over 80 videos for the certified team agent, 80 videos of all the people on his team and intimate one-on-one with me and Jeff talking about how he makes, you know, a million bucks net, where the money comes from, going through line items and downloads that we're including of, 
you know, forms that he uses, forms that his agents use, forms that his admin use, 80 videos. And that means there's going to be probably about the same amount of quizzes. So this is a high intensity course. Someone else sent me an email today and said, hey, is this for team leaders or is this for age members of the team? And I said, first and foremost, it's for the team leaders, how to build an, an incredible bombastic team. But that being said, you can go to a section for instance, one of the sections, there's nine sections, one of the sections is called agents. And you go to that agent section and there's about 20 videos in the agent section and have your agents just watch those. You can have your admin just go into the admin section. There's about 10 videos there. And depending on what they are, they can just watch the listing agent, I mean, the listing admin or the pending admin or the sign runner or the whatever, the, the coach who coaches the agents. He has two incredible office managers and they have their own section in this course called management. So I'm answering this guy's question in a long way, but the answer is it's for everybody on the team really. But I think the person to get most out of it is obviously the person who wants to build a team or already has a team and just wants to make it better and more efficient. This is the course for that. So anyways, if you just go to rebusuniversity.com and you fill out a form with your information for Jeff's course, the certified listing agent, you will get a 50% coupon emailed to you. It is coming out in the next couple of weeks. I mean, it's got to be soon unless something really messes us up. So do it. Do it. rebusuniversity.com. R-E-B-U-S university.com. Thanks guys. Okay. Rockstar nation, man. I have a great guest today. I got Mr. Kevin, Bupp from Clearwater, Florida on the show. And Kevin is a professional real estate investor. Yes. This is what he does. He eats, thinks, drinks, real estate, and he's got some great predictions and some great thoughts and some great stories on where all real estate is going and has been, whether it's residential, commercial, mobile homes, everything. So we're going to dig deep into real estate today. So without further ado, Kevin, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars with Pat Hyben. Pat, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here today with you guys. So why don't you give a little bio on yourself, Kevin, so we can get to know you better. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys try the I'll try to give you the condensed version of it. Uh, my only real job has been real estate. I got got kind of lucky at a young age. I um I was a terrible student by the way in high school, really bad. I mean, barely graduated. And this isn't just like one of those like guru stories. I mean, I really was a terrible, terrible student, like D's and F's, and uh, somehow squeaked my way and, uh, and got a diploma. And I uh, went to community college because I didn't really know what else to do with my life um, and uh, just got really lucky about a year into community college and met a guy who happened to be dating the mother of a girl I was dating and uh, he happened to be a real estate investor, a local one. And I'm guessing he saw it as something in a uh, somewhat of a broken kid. He saw something in me um, that um, maybe, you know, some kind of gleam in my eye. I don't know. I didn't think I had it, but uh, he saw something in me and he, I guess he kind of befriended me just because he wanted to, to help give me some guidance in life. And so long story short, he got me into real estate when I was 19 years old. He was a local investor. He owned single family homes and apartment buildings. And um, he was my first foray into it. I, he, he kind of took me underneath his wing, taught me the business. 
And um, it took about a year for me following him around like a little puppy dog, you know, to all of his appointments and his meetings with sellers and buyers and contractors and brokers. And and uh, and at, at the age of 20 is when I bought my my first investment property. Um, it's a single family home. Basically bought it uh, a really rundown property, uh, did a rehab on it, kept it as a rental and just continued to do that l- literally uh, up until 2008. I mean, that, that's pri- what my primary business was, was buying distressed single family homes and in big quantities uh, and had 122 of them when the market crashed here in Florida in 2007, 2008 era. And uh, also had multiple uh, apartment units as well. Lots of smaller apartment buildings, you know, 72 units and under was kind of our typical size. And uh, so basically was a full-time real estate investor from, I guess you could say from early adulthood. I mean, that's all I've known. That's all I've done my entire life. I also owned a uh, mortgage company for a number of years. I was very successful during the the run up of 2003 to 2007, and but lost everything when the market crashed. Lost pretty much everything that I owned uh, when the market uh, took a downturn in 2000. I, I really, I, I cut the cord on everything I owned in 2008. That's kind of when I just said I, I can't do this. It's not making it, and um, need to figure something else out. And uh, lost everything I had built up into that time. So. That was really my that was my introduction to real estate. That was um, how I got to I guess where I am today. But it was a, it was a long hard journey. Wow, that's intense, and I, I hope you can share some of that story with us. And I, I want to kind of go back now. And then today, luckily, you're still in real estate. You never really got out of real estate, right? And so you're still in real estate, still an investor. Mm-hmm. Basically, stuck with it. Just changed asset classes essentially. I took a hiatus for like two years. Honestly, I um I wish I wouldn't have now, uh, because I I felt like um I felt like the world was crumbling. Honestly, that that was my, I mean I was still I'm 37 today, so I was very young at that time, and uh, that all I knew was real estate going up. I wasn't I'm way smarter today as an investor than I was back then. I, I feel like I understand a lot more the fundamentals behind it than I did back then. I was just making money hand over fist and doing really well, and so it was a it was a big impact to me personally when. When I lost everything, and so I literally did. I stuck my head in the sand for like two years. Not necessarily. I stuck my head in the sand as it pertained to real estate. I did start two other businesses that were um, somewhat near and dear to my heart. They were health health related businesses, which I felt I felt like I needed to kind of rebuild myself, my confidence. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm not I'm gonna do something that's not related to real estate. I want to do something that um, I have a sincere personal passion for, which is health and fitness. And so that's what I did for two years. I built two other businesses. I did quite well. Never nearly as well as I did with real estate. And, um, but so I did, I guess you could say I did, I took a step away from being a real estate investor for two years, but I did get back into it. I surely did. Wow. You missed it. So, and, and probably the best years, uh, I know, I know, I know. I I kick myself now. I promise you, Pat, I will never make that mistake again. When the next downturn happens, I'll be better prepared. And even if I lose anything, I pro I promise you, I will recapitalize a lot faster and be ready for those opportunities. Cause I did, I I missed a ton of good opportunities. I mean, it's hard. It's easy to look back. I can remember that same time where, I mean, the stock when the stock market had just crashed uh, around the same time, and we were looking at the QQQ, and I, I have two buddies that I talk a lot of money and stuff with, and we were like, man, we should each put $100,000 in the QQQ because, you know, it's obviously the NASDAQ is at the lowest. It's, it's going to be in a really long time, mm-hmm. and of course, that'd be worth 400000 or so now or more. Yeah. You know? In hindsight, we're all geniuses, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so so I want to I want to kind of take a chronological approach to this if you don't mind because yeah, this, is, this sure. is fascinating. Okay, so 17 years ago that would have been about 1999. So it's yep. really cool that you you started out 
as a real estate guy and not only as a real estate guy, as a real estate investor, and you just started buying things and flipping them, right? So you were flipping houses back in 2000, 2001 sort of thing? You yeah, yeah, long, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I started, I guess, 1999 is when I kind of uh, started, you know, my, my training or my mentor my mentoring process with uh, with David. That that's who the, the guy that got me into this business. And then uh, uh, bought the first one. I guess it would have been two thousand, uh, some sometime in two thousand. But uh, we weren't buying and flipping. I mean, we, I have bought and flipped properties. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but most of the time, he I, I literally just I did what he taught me. And so I didn't I didn't know any better. And so I literally just followed the model that he had. His model was he bought rehab and kept for long term cash flow. His whole idea was building for long term cash flow. And so. I just never went against his principles. And so I, I did flip every once in a while. I wouldn't say I flipped more so we wholesaled. If it was a property that we tied up that I didn't really want, wasn't in a good part of town, or maybe just needed too much work, I wasn't comfortable with it, or maybe just the timing wasn't right, we would flip or we would wholesale. But most of the time, most of the properties that we purchased, we purchased to, to rehab and to keep as rental properties. Okay. And so where, where'd you get the money to do this? Uh, most of it was private money. When it came to the residential side, it was either initially it was hard money, uh, but then I kind of worked my way into. I got again lucky with this mentor David. I worked into his network. He had a, a lot of uh, private lenders uh, that you know provided money at you know between eight and ten percent, just really simple terms. So I did my first three deals with hard money, which sucked. I mean, it just was very expensive. I did refi the first two pretty quickly um, after we got in and rehabbed them and, and got a tenant in there um, because the hard money was very short term. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but we went to private money as soon as possible. And I just, I think what had happened is David never really offered, he never offered, well, like my first couple of deals, he never offered to connect me with his money sources. I think he wanted to see whether or not I could figure it out on my own. Yeah, you're and, 19, uh, 20, 21 yeah, years old. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. He didn't want to ruin his reputation uh, if I were to fail miserably. I mean, he did help me through those first couple of deals and I did pull together my own. I mean, it was hard money. It was just, it was like, I think it was five points and 15% interest, if I can recall. I mean, it was really hard. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, that's the way it is. And then and then, and then, when you were able to prove you had equity, yeah, the bank yeah. refied. Now, once the bank that's, refied they didn't these- at all with the hard money. They, they didn't make any money with, the, with that hard money in place. I mean, it was kind of just like a break even until I could get a refi done on them. Did they cash flow? What, what kind of cash flow were you getting on the refi? Did you have a number you were trying to meet? <laughs> for me, it was just kind of like I looked at it. I didn't look at it like I didn't even know what cash on cash returns. I didn't know any of that stuff back then. It didn't even that that didn't even come into my brain until many years later. So I think in my mind was um, if I could you know if I could cash flow two hundred bucks a month with which each each one of these homes and these were low end homes. These were like fifty thousand dollar homes. You know, thirty to fifty thousand dollar homes like after rehab. Like that was the the value of them. They were like row homes in the city of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So. Not not the best homes, kind of C class type areas. And in my mind, it was just if I could achieve two hundred bucks a month on each one, that was a home run. Yeah. So so were you were these blue collar rentals or were they Section Eight? No, they they were blue collar. I didn't do any. Again, I didn't. He didn't do Section Eight, and so I just I didn't know what Section Eight was until many years later. I mean, I I had heard of it. I knew people that did it, but I probably until three years of of my investing career, I didn't even know what Section Eight was. I didn't really even understand the principle of it. And so it was just blue collar, blue collar so, rent. So Harrisburg, I know Harrisburg. So uh, you know, I grew up in Maryland. So did you live in Did you live in that area, or yeah, what made you I, chose I, that I was, area? I was born and raised in yeah Harrisburg. So okay. I, I was living there until 2002, and I moved down to Florida in 2002. And then you kept all these rentals in Harrisburg when you moved down to Florida. Yeah, but I, I sold I sold them very shortly thereafter, uh, just because it okay. I, I did 
Yeah, it's funny because today everything, every, most of the things I own are really far away from where I live. Whereas back then, I just I couldn't comprehend how I could possibly manage these things and do it effectively while being down in Florida. And yeah. I never had, I never had the intent of going back up there. And so, so, so you probably made some money. You know, two thousand to two thousand two. Certainly, the market was yeah. it was ascending. You know? Yeah, Harrisburg doesn't. That part of the, the country didn't really appreciate much. They didn't get much up, and they didn't go down much when the market tanked. So, I mean, these. Most of the appreciation we saw on these properties was either the sweat equity that we did with the rehab or your know, principal paydowns. I mean, there wasn't a ton of appreciation. These were, you know, inner city Harrisburg type properties, row homes. Just they they didn't definitely did not see any kind of massive appreciation increases over those those two thousand two to two thousand six years or two thousand seven years that we saw. Like in Florida, South Carolina, where you live, Pat, things were going crazy. You know, I mean, it was like yeah. A roller coaster like shooting straight for the sky initially until it came back down the other side yeah so i was gonna say so you move to florida and then and then you become an instant millionaire huh just just yeah, an equity in a point. year right everything's that's just the, going up and you're a genius exactly i felt like i was a genius right i mean because I, I moved here in 2002 started buying right away and just was like oh my god really this is easy just buy as many as we can right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it, it makes it makes a lot of sense right if if the craps table is winning keep pushing your money in it so you're you're pushing your money in there for six years right mm, yep. you probably amassed you know on paper 10 million dollars Back to about fifteen million dollars, what I what I was worth on paper, you know, you know, from an equity standpoint when okay. the market crashed. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, I'm I'm a multi millionaire, I'm worth fifteen million dollars. Look at me. And you didn't you weren't selling, huh? You were just holding and renting. We would sell when we had to, or we would sell like the dogs, you know, the ones that we thought would be good good plays or good good little neighborhoods and they'd end up being dogs or whatever. You know, so we would sell here and there, but that wasn't our business model. It just was and sometimes we would sell when we needed more equity. I mean, we always tried to keep as much uh, of our own capital in, in, in play as possible. So obviously sometimes you run out of your own money at certain points in times. And so I didn't know what syndication was back then when it, when we were buying single family homes or anything like that. So most of it was private money. Um, but we were putting a lot of our own money in as well for down payments and things of that nature. So, you know, we'd sell when we needed capital. That's the best way to put it. We'd sell when we needed capital. Okay. So now you're leveraged out. You got 122 houses in Florida. You're like, Yahoo, I'm worth $15 million. 2008 rolls around. What happens? <laughs> well, a lot of the homes that we, uh, a lot of the homes that we owned were in uh, uh, south of south of Tampa Bay area. So they were like uh, Sarasota and all the way down to like Fort Myers. And we, here's there, there's two big things that happened. Number one is the market crashed so fast that you know when we realized that we needed to start selling. I'm, I'm talking like fire sale properties, and we had a lot of equity in these things. I mean, we we were we were never buying for more than like sixty five cents in a dollar. I mean, so we were buying into these things at really really low leverage points. And so in our minds, we were like, you know, worst case scenario, I mean, if, if the world ever fell apart, we could still sell these things, right? We could still fire sell them. Well, once we realized that, you know, things were kind of going south, we started kind of gearing up to start putting these things on the market. And it literally crumbled so fast that it was like, we were like chasing after this like snowball that was just growing bigger and bigger running down the hill. We could never catch up to it. And so we did sell some. We started like marketing them at like eighty cents in a dollar, and then at seventy-five cents in a dollar, and then at you know, seventy cents in a dollar. And by the time, you know, by the time that we got to you know like sixty-five cents a dollar, like how much equity we had, like the market was just no one was buying anything. Everyone's like kind of like stuck in their shoes, or like we're not buying anything. Like this real estate market is the worst we've ever seen it. No one's buying anything. It's just like you know rock bottom at that point. So we just got outpaced by the crashing of the market. Is what happened. We couldn't sell fast enough, but that wasn't the only thing. Another thing that really hurt us really bad, which is kind of a 
it's I've never heard anyone else actually, you know, tell me that this was one of the reasons why they had, you know, why they went through a crash, you know, those that owned real estate back then. But um, there was a lot of spec built homes happening down uh, in the areas where we own our real estate. I'm, there was a there's a lot of land in that part of Florida and there were rooftops going up everywhere. I mean, I'm this this three two twos, you know, as far as the eye could see in some areas and they were being built for phantom populations. This is back when, you know, you saw people flipping you know, pre-built homes, pre-built contracts, like two, three, four times yeah. before the, the thing was even finished. And there was a lot of homes like this, thousands of these types of homes being built. And what happened was these builders, they got into a pickle, obviously. They have construction loans and they have uh, no payments on their construction loans that are due. And we had a mass exodus of our of our rental units because these builders started renting out these, these the ones that were completed, so renting, renting them out for not much more, almost like equal to or not much more than what we were renting our, you know, 20 year old three bedroom oh, one they, they were trying to stop their bleeding absolutely so them, their band-aid effect created a massive wound on us and so we had you know like the, you know single family homes just don't ca- i mean i don't know we can argue this point i can argue with my buddies that invest in single family homes but it's just not the same it's not as sustainable as like an apartment building or a mobile home park or anything like that and so you know the, the cash flow that we did have they were cash flowing properties but it wasn't enough to withstand like a, a, a you know an impact of a fifteen percent loss in vacancy. Yeah, well, uh, well, it just, it yeah. Didn't work. I guess at the end of the day, you didn't have enough equity in it. If you want to look at it like that, you know what I, I mean. Yes, I, I mean, yeah, how much know. more equity can you have? Well, if you paid, yeah. If you paid cash, if you paid cash for them and you just sucked it in, and and now you fast yeah, forward to today. Yeah, you know, you'd have a nice little portfolio. There's not many people that can build that many homes, that can build that much of a portfolio in, in six years by yeah, buying yeah. Unless Absolutely you unless not, liquidated no. something else prior to, but when the market when the market um was at its peak, we were at more so like a 48 to I mean across at least my portfolio, like under 50 percent loan to value. I mean based on that the value that the, the right. inflated values, and, and then so, it, and mean, then it became eventually. Most people would say that that's plenty of equity, right? To like yeah. withstand any kind of storm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but and it then was, it became 120 percent loan to value. Yeah, and <laughs> and then also you know it became us writing checks each month to basically pay our notes. You know, right. like, I mean, instead of getting cash flow in, we were putting cash out, and then that I knew that if that continued for any extended period of time, I'd be, I mean, I'd be broke and then I would lose the homes. And so I just had to make a tough decision to cut the cord and cut it as fast as possible so that I could at least keep some of the money that I had in my pocket, you know, in my pocket to figure out what I was going to do next. So I mean, did you, did you short sale these or did you just say, we, we tried, yeah, we tried to do everything. We worked a lot of different banks we were working with. Some of them were commercial lines of credit that we had uh, kind of, uh, you know, we would always like package up eight to 10 homes, sometimes more than that, and then get a commercial loan on them. And so those were, those are pretty quick. A lot of those, um, <laughs> you know, based on how the, uh, the, the notes were written, those, they took over the payments immediately after default. Some of them were individual residential loans. Um, you know, we tried to work short sales out with them. At that point, what, what I realized or what I noticed is that most of these banks, it was so new. This this crash was so recent. And they they'd never been through anything like this before, and so most of them weren't willing to work with us. Oh initially. yeah, they yeah no, it took yeah, a, I mean, it took them a long time. The whole short long, sale foreclosure uh, workout. Long way after we were already like, you know, out of it, you know, they, they just weren't willing to work with us. We tried to work with every single lender that we could, even the commercial lenders. We tried to work restructuring deals. and But to them, they, were, they weren't hurting enough themselves yet. And right. It, that and was, everyone like, was still in denial of, yeah, of that's it. you know, exactly. that's the thing. You know, exactly. They were, they were so. like, it's going to come back and this is how you do. You got to pay your, uh, your obligations. It, it changed the whole psyche of 
uh, how people viewed credit and how people viewed obligations and how, how people deal with banks. I mean, it just yep. it really changed everything. So, okay, so boom, here you, you lose the whole thing. Here, take 120 houses. In, in Florida, hit them, you know, or into the foreclosure pool all at once. You know, you guys are like, I'm out. And so then you're just like, screw this. I'm, you know, real estate's not for me, which I understand. You know, I mean, sometimes we just get sick of the game, especially when we get hurt uh, really bad. You know, I've been hurt bad uh, on a couple of deals myself. And in all the years I was in the real estate sales business, you know, I had a couple really crappy years and a couple really bad things happened. So I understand. And so your, your mindset was like, screw it. I'm going into the health field, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, clean break. You went in there two years and then you're like, Hey, you know what? I miss real estate. I believe in real estate. I understand that a large percentage of the millionaires in the United States, got there through real estate. I'm going to give it another shot. And so tell me about that. Now we're at 2010. You're like, okay, time for me to pick myself off, dust off my shoulders and get back in the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And, uh, so the, you know, we owned apartment buildings as well back when this crash happened and we did not lose any of those apartment buildings, um, during this downturn. It didn't affect us like, uh, like it did the single family homes that we owned. And I'm not sure why we didn't get the mass exodus from apartments uh, into these these single-family homes. The only thing I can think of is that maybe these builders um, were only like – they were doing direct mailers. They were putting door hangers out. And I'm guessing that they were – the people that lived in the apartments maybe just didn't know that they could go move into a 322 brand-new home for you know what they were paying in their apartment at that current time. So we didn't we didn't really get a, a major hiccup at all in our apartments. And uh, But the problem that happened is – we had to sell at the bottom of the market because we were we were broke. We needed money, you know. My partners and I we needed to, to liquidate, and so we sold most of everything we had in like 2010, 2009, 2010 at, at basically rock bottom prices. I don't even look back at what we sold them for versus what they're worth today because it drives me crazy. But um, <laughs> wow. we just we needed capital at that point. So what I did is I you know we went through this two year hiatus, started these other couple of businesses, but knew I was always going to get back into real estate and. I looked back and just looked at what worked in my business and what didn't work. And the funniest part was is that we never purposely bought our apartment buildings. They just kind of came along. I, I, that's the best way I can put it. We never had a business model in place to market for them. We never spent a lot of time like saying, we need to be buying multifamily. Like, we just ended up buying them. I, I don't even know how to explain it other than that. Now, like, did you, were your partners the same guys you bought these 120 houses with? Yeah, I, I own the 122 houses in my own name. Like, okay. I mean, they, well, not in my own name, but they were my own personal. Yeah, that, so that was your own, okay. I did own the uh, the apartment buildings with other partners. Okay, so and, some uh, some of the same guys you're in business with. Yes, you're like, yes, let's exactly. get back together. Well, actually, I shared a management infrastructure with a larger group that owned a lot more houses than I did, and so we kind of intertwined our management, and so we became partners in other deals. But that portfolio I mentioned to you, that was my own personal portfolio of homes. Okay, and so I look back at my business in uh, you know 2010. I reflected back as to what worked and what didn't work, and. You know, it just it was plain as day that single family homes, the amount of effort and energy I put into buying that many homes, the amount of effort and energy it took into managing them and the inefficiencies that were involved with the management. I just I wondered why even like halfway through, like the two thousand four, two thousand five, why I wouldn't have switched to multifamily. But the only reason I could I could really pin to it was we had such a big system in place. We were doing really well with marketing. I mean, we just, it was easy, right? It was our comfort okay, zone. Okay, so we, so let me stop you there because because you know, a lot of people listening here own single family rentals. Some may be involved in some apartment buildings, whether they're five units or a hundred units or a syndication. So 
Tell me about your perception of the inefficiencies, the overmanagement of single-family rentals. Why did you make that statement? Yeah, I mean, so I'll give it from my standpoint. We owned homes in four in three different counties, and uh, you know, we had maintenance men and we had leasing agents that you know running around each one of these homes. Let alone that's inefficient, right? Going from one home that's here and then another home that's five miles away, and the next home seven miles away. It's inefficient for a leasing agent. It's inefficient for a maintenance man. I mean, it's just you take. 10 homes that are spread out throughout three counties versus a 10-unit apartment building that's in one location, you save money right then and there from a uh, from a leasing standpoint and also from a maintenance standpoint, right? And then you also look at other things like the rooftops. I mean, on 10 homes, you got 10 roofs. Uh, on apartment building, you've got one more than likely if you got a 10-unit apartment building. Little in- inefficiencies like that. You know, really, I, I tell you, the, the thing that I can tell you that was the biggest for me, now that we only own multifamily property, is the management portion of it was the the biggest kicker, right? I I felt, at least me personally, this is my opinion, that's where the biggest inefficiency really came in. We always struggled with, we used to always try to outsource our management to third-party companies, and we always struggled with finding companies that could do as good of a job as we could do because we never wanted to have the management in-house, but we were forced to because we just couldn't get high-caliber property management companies that did a kick-ass job with that many single-family homes because you know, they have the same inefficiencies as well. I mean, it's just, it's almost impossible to overcome those inefficiencies. And so with the apartments, we felt like we had a better caliber of property management company that we could attract with our apartment buildings than what we could with our single family homes. Whether that's true across the United States, I'm not sure. It just seemed like that was my experience with it. Yeah. And then you went in in apartments for five years or so, right? And eventually you said, I'm at a multifamily, right? And you you made a conscious decision to get out. Tell well, me, we had to. We needed why. money. <laughs> well, we were we sold because we needed money at that point in time. So that was the reason why we sold our our okay, property. So you didn't make you, you you weren't. But you we did, made money, but not much at all. It definitely it was it was the complete. We knew it was the wrong time to sell, but we had to. We were forced to. We needed no, no. capital. Okay, so how? And, how um, but how long were you buying multi? Uh, how long were you buying apartments before you started buying mobile home parks? Uh, bought our first apartment, I think 2003 and, uh, you know, so 2003, 2007, so four years or so. And then oh, the market. Crashed. Okay. Yeah. So you started buying mobile homes back in 2010. No, no, no. Multifamily. Yeah, yeah. No mobile homes. We bought our first one in, I think beginning of 2011. So okay. we got into mobile home parks in 2010. We really started determining that that's what we wanted to get into, but we didn't buy our first park for about an entire year. We looked at a lot. We underwrote a lot. Tried to learn the business inside and out, but so I could say that we started buying mobile home parks in 2010. But re- realistically, we really didn't buy our first one until 2011. Okay, so tell, so tell me why. Business without buying anything. I mean, you, you own yeah, you own single family, you own multifamily. You obviously have access to retail. You have access to industrial. You have access to office space. But you say, you know what? No, we're going into mobile home parks. Why? <laughs> it, it wasn't that simple of a decision. Um, I initially said we're going back into multifamily. That's what I said when I g- decided I was going to die back in. And um, you know, I, I, I happened to happened upon a uh, a mutual uh, a mutual friend um, that I knew was in the. He, uh, you know, I, was, I was basically I was talking to everyone I could. Everyone that was in the multifamily space at that time. I was meeting with brokers. I was meeting with other operators. Well, I was introduced to a guy through a mutual friend that owned manufactured housing communities. And I had lunch with him one day, literally just just to pick his brain to find out what it is he did, right? I was kind of at that 
that uh, you know, the learning stage again. You know, what am I going to do in the second round? What am I going to do differently? Let's talk to others that are that have been there, done that, that are my senior, that have maybe been through a, a cycle or two. And so I met with this guy for lunch, and uh, his name was Randy, and uh, he had been in the finance side of manufactured housing for like 25 years, and uh, he had started buying, uh, I guess, about nine years prior to me meeting him manufactured housing and RV communities like that. Now, now he was on the second leg of his adventure and he was buying them as an operator. And he just, he, you know, he, he threw out a couple points to me as he was making comparisons to, to, for, you know, from manufactured housing communities to apartment buildings that just stuck with me. They resonated with me and it, and it was enough to pique my interest that, um, I wanted to dig in a little deeper and I wanted to see if maybe this would be the area that I focused in. Cause I knew moving forward just from my personality, I do best with focus. I really do best if I just pick one thing and become the best at it. And I just, I, I learned that about myself, you know, over the years of being, you know, in single family plus multifamily. And I'm sure I looked at other businesses as well along the way. And so when I, I spoke with him, he gave me these couple of interest points, which number one was, you know, the returns. I mean, you compare apples to apples, typically, you know, um, if you're comparing apples to apples, you know, you end up with about two to three point premium yield spread over what you would over the comparable apartment building, you know, with a mobile home park. The couple other interesting points is that they're not being built anymore. I mean, they literally, I think maybe there was like three or four built in 2016. They're what, do you, not what, do you, what do you mean? They're not, Two they're not being built. I mean, you, you, you got to think of the stereotype that goes along with mobile home parks. Local municipalities and cities and towns, they hate them. They've got a bad name, and so they don't approve these things to be built anymore. Um, in fact, they go away faster than they're being built. Um, th- typically, you'll find them, they'll get either redeveloped because the land's got higher and better use, so a developer will come in and buy them out, or they'll be shut down maybe because the, the owner was aging and just didn't do a great job, and it just kind of it, it ran its lifespan, and uh, so it just got shut down through time. Um, but you know, for n- numerous different reasons, there's more every year that gets shut down than that get built. And so it's the only asset in real estate that has a diminishing supply. There's not one other asset type that actually is going down in numbers. Everything else today is still being built. Self-storage, mm. office, retail, multifamily. Everything else is like mm. increasing in numbers while mobile home parks are decreasing, which is kind of interesting. So there's a pretty big barrier to entry there knowing that there's a diminishing supply. A couple other points is that, you know, uh, these residents that live in there, they own their own home and they rent the lot. Well, it's very expensive to move these homes off these lots. And so a lot of these residents, although these homes are called mobile homes, they very rarely ever move because um, it costs you know three to $5,000 to move to your average single wide. Most people that live in a mobile home park will never have three to $5,000. And so these are all the different points that he was kind of giving me, trying to sell me on the idea of why I should at least give it a deeper look. And so that, 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 that literally, that conversation, that lunch that day, really started me on the venture I'm, I'm going down today with mobile home parks. I, I, at that point, I made a decision that I would dig deeper and I would give this a valiant effort to see if mobile home parks were the asset that I was going to go after and maybe not apartment buildings. Interesting, interesting. So if you look at it from a simplistic point of view, you know, because a lot of people listening to the show or they're single family, they, they buy single families, they rent them out, uh, or they're real estate agents, they sell single families to investors to rent out. So if, if we're looking at it from the point of view of comparison to a single family, right? So mm-hmm. if I, you know, there's the old adage, the, the 1% rule, you know, buy a house for a hundred grand. I want to get a thousand a month. I want to get 1% a month f- for a good investment. So compare that to a mobile home park. What sort of returns can someone expect to get from buying a mobile home park or can someone use to determine should they or should they not buy a mobile home park? 
Yeah, that that's kind of a loaded question only because Pat, you know, every, we know that every market's different, right? And so there are some markets where we might be willing to pay a little bit more or take a little bit less of a return because it's such a, a phenomenal market, okay? And so I'm going to just give you kind of our parameters, what we look for. And, you know, that doesn't mean that if it doesn't fit our parameters, that it's not a good deal for somebody else, right? Because it's all relative to okay. what you think is a good deal and what I think is a good deal. Yeah, so what, what do you use? So we want to know that we can go into a park and most of the ones that we buy are they have some sort of distress going on. Some are less distressed than others. Some are extremely distressed. But we like to go in knowing that um, from day one that we can be either at or near a 20% cash on cash return or at least know that we can get there in the first year, the first 12 months. Okay. Wow, the and these, first these are all, months. And these so, are levered, these are levered returns. I mean, so, um, typically we're going in and, you know, if we got to get bank financing, normally it's uh, 30% down. Uh, sometimes we can squeak out 25% down. Um, some of the deals we've purchased over the past year, we've had owner financing on where we've put down as low as, you know, 10 or 15%. So it just really what's depends. What's the average but, price of the ones you're buying? About a million bucks. Okay, so, so guys, what, what he's saying is a million bucks. Let's say you put 25% down, that mm -hmm. would be 250 G. So a cash-on-cash cash return of 20% is going to be 50 grand. So what he's saying is he, he would put 250 in it. He would need to get 20% back per year on his down payment, not on the total value. Right, mind you. Right, that would be a what the what the commercial real estate agent would call a a five cap, fifty grand on a million bucks. It's not that. It's twenty percent on the amount that he puts down, which is two fifty. If you put two fifty into the deal, you're going to get fifty grand back, twenty percent return cash on your cash. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's that's great. Well, that's great. And what areas do you look in, Kevin? You know, we own we own right now in seven different states. You know, we we, uh, we spend more time on the markets initially. I mean, we we literally we, we do it. I guess we do it the right way. I call it the right way, right? Because I think a lot of other people chase deals. They chase like what they perceive as a deal, but they don't necessarily consider the market until after the fact, right? They look the numbers first of the deal, and then they say, okay, well, let's take a look at this market and see if this market can support the deal. Well, we look at the opposite way. We always look at the markets first. So we spent we spent the last like three years. I mean, we really got into this really heavy three years ago where we've researched now hundreds of markets across the country, some very small markets. I mean, we'll look in mar uh, metros as small as 100,000 population. Really, what we're looking for is that there's a high demand for affordable housing. We know that we can all agree that affordable housing is not really being built anymore today. It's not even profitable for developers to build for affordable housing. So there's a massive, massive demand for affordable housing across the country, and it's, it's growing every day. And so we look for markets that have um, you know, 100,000 plus median incomes. We want to know that the unemployment rate is six and a half percent or lower. Um, we want to know that the average household incomes or median household incomes are like $45,000 or higher. And we want to know like the average rent for a three bedroom apartment is at least $900 or higher. You know, so we look at those types of things. We look at the vacancy rates in the markets to determine that there's not a lot of vacant supply on the market. So we look at all these things and then we determine whether or not we think it's a promising market. Once we do that, we build our database of all the parks that are in those markets. And right now we've got, I don't know, a couple hundred uh, markets that we have a database of, of mobile home parks. And uh, so that's that's kind of how we determine where we're going to buy. After we have the markets kind of picked out, we go, we do direct marketing. We uh, we make cold calls. We uh, we do direct mail campaigns. We get we uh, uh, initiate brokers to work on our behalf within these marketplaces. And um, that's kind of, that's ha basically how we bought everything we have today. Right now we own in Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, 
Kentucky, and I always miss one. There's another one in there somewhere. I'm, I'm forgetting. I always miss a state when I name them off. Yeah. Uh, Alabama. Alabama. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I so. love your diversification there as far as states. I mean, you're you, you you've got them everywhere, and this this is cool. This has been a really good experience, I think, for everybody to number one to know that you know full time real estate investing is. Uh, definitely legitimate and you can take it to higher and higher and higher limits. So I love what you've done and I love that you're so real estate focused. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to share all of Kevin's information as well as his company's information. If you're interested in investing in mobile homes, you can follow up with him uh, on some of his future endeavors on hybendigital.com backslash Kevin Bupp, and that's B-U-P-P, that's B-U-P-P, hybendigital.com backslash Kevin Bupp. Kevin, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. This has been great. I wish you the best in your future endeavors there, and thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Fantastic. Pat, thanks for having me. Thanks. And if anyone out there wants to reach me directly, they can reach me at Kevin at KevinBupp.com. That's the best way to reach me. And if you have any questions about mobile home park investing, uh, anything, whether it's detail or just general in, in nature, shoot me an email. I'd be more than happy to help you out. Kevin at KevinBupp.com. And Pat, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Bluehost. Check this out. If you have a website you want to host or already hosting and are probably paying too much, they have disrupted the world when it comes to hosting things inexpensively and efficiently. As little as $3.95 a month and you get a free domain name. They host over 2 million websites worldwide. Check it out, uh, listeners to this show. Very inexpensive and efficient. They can get a free domain. So I got a coupon for a free domain for you. Just go to host.hybendigital.com. That's host.hybendigital.com. Over 2 million websites hosted worldwide by Bluehost. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.